You're listening where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. We all love to read books about the Civil War, but where do those books come from? Before they get to Amazon or Borders or the independent bookseller, if there are still any left, who makes those books? How does a book go from being a gleam in a would-be author's eye to a published work? We'll explore the mysteries of Civil War book publishing today with one of the leaders in the field, Theodore Savas of Savas Beatty, LLC, on Civil War Talk Radio. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Jerry Prokopovich calling in today from my office on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, a beautiful spring day in February of 2007, and reminding you as always that although I speak from the university, I do not speak for the university, nor does it speak for me. Legally, we are each on our own hook. And as always, uh, every week I want to thank everyone who has contributed uh, with a financial donation, large or small, to Civil War Talk Radio. You can do so from the PayPal button on the website, or you can mail something. Uh, My address is accessible through the website, and that is used very appropriately for the purchase of books for the show, which then lead to future shows, and that's appropriate because our guest today... Uh, Our guest today is Ted Savas from uh, Savas Beatty LLC, a publishing house that has produced books that I'm sure many of our listeners have already read at some point. Ted, are you with us today? I am, Jerry. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, thank thank you for agreeing to be here. I am, Ted, this week totally worn out from trying to meet a publisher's deadline (laughs) for a manuscript that I'm working on on the subject of Abraham Lincoln. So much so that I'm just going to sit back for the next 55 minutes and let you tell some stories. Well, maybe not quite that much. But uh, feel free to tell us all you can, starting with uh, a little bit about your background. What, what got you interested in the uh, both in the Civil War and the world of publishing? Uh, well, uh, yeah, let me, uh, let me first commiserize with your, uh, with your uh, deadline. I've been there before, and I know what it's like, and many of my authors know what it's like, so... So I, uh, I I commiserate with you on that. 
I think, uh, you know, I've been interested in history, Jerry, since I was a little kid. And uh, when I was about 10 or 11, my grandfather, who was a Greek immigrant, had absolutely no education at all, a formal education. He knew I loved, uh, I loved books, and he came home with a battered copy of uh, Lee's Lieutenants, Volume 1. No just jacket. It was all, you know, beat to heck. Got it in a rummage sale for a dime. And he gave it to me, and I started reading it. And I finished that book outside, reading it, walking along the north part of our property. We lived in Iowa. I lived out in the country. And uh, I was walking along the woods, and I was reading this book, and it just completely wrapped me up. And, uh, and I finished it. was just excited to find out that there were two more volumes. I read those, and I was uh, completely hooked on uh, on the Civil War. My background educationally, I have a have a BA in uh, American history. I have most of a master's degree in American history, and I was uh, in grad school waiting to go to law school. And, uh, and I graduated from the University of Iowa Law School in '86, and uh, practiced uh, law actively for uh, 12 years in Silicon Valley. Did a lot of trial work and different kinds of things. Uh, but uh, during that time, I developed. Um, started writing articles for magazines and things in the late 80s. Uh, that developed into the launch with uh, my friend David Woodbury of uh, Civil War Regiments, a quarterly Civil War journal. And one thing led to another, and pretty soon we were we were publishing books, and I had a law suite, and next door I had a publishing suite, and one thing led to another, and, and so it became. Wow. Well, so so you two are a recovering lawyer like myself. <laughs> There's a lot of us, huh? There are a lot of us in the field, I'll tell you. It's... Uh... It's a good experience, but it's uh, it's also good to have it in the background. I think. I, I think I decided I'm getting older, and uh, I'm going to have to meet Saint uh, Saint Peter one of these days. I better have something good on the other side of the ledger. Uh, so I figured maybe well, you, publishing would work. You you know that story, of course, of the lawyer who goes to Saint Peter and and, and says, "I'm sorry, Saint Peter, but you know I'm 42 years old. I jog every day. I eat right. Uh, what, what am I doing up here?" And Saint Peter says, "You're 42." We looked at your billing records. We thought you were 98. <laughs> uh, I love a good lawyer joke. There's a lot of them. Uh, anyway, the uh, the uh, that lead lieutenant story is, is certainly appropriate too. I, I recall reading uh, the the biography Freeman's biography of Lee as the last thing I read before graduate school. On the advice of David Donald, uh, sent a letter the summer before. Said read something long and in depth because. Once you start grad school, you'll never have a chance to read anything like that again. Boy, that's for sure. And he was certainly right. And and in modern life, I mean, how often do we get a chance to read a four-volume set of anything? So it uh, it was good advice at the time. Now, so you were able to go into this uh, uh, as publishing. You mentioned originally with uh, David Woodbury, mm-hmm. and you started. Did you in- initially intend to focus on Civil War titles? Well, it was really what we knew the most, and it made sense, uh, I guess, at the time to you know to focus and do you know what you love. And so, from the editing perspective, from understanding it, from having a large library with access to a lot of material, it, it, it made sense to publish Civil War material. And I really, it, it was a tiger by the tail. I mean, we published a couple of books, and they did probably a lot better than they deserved to do. Uh, and then one was picked up by the History Book Club. Uh, and it was the last day in the Carolinas, the Battle of Bentonville by Mark Bradley, just an, an outstanding study. And it just uh, started blossoming from there, and it just made sense to to stay in the field and do what we love to do, and and so we did. Well, your press occupies a sort of uh, an, an interesting niche. If 
Uh, I find a lot of people are not aware of the different kinds of publishers out there. There are university presses on the one hand mm-hmm. and, and commercial presses. Uh, how do the university presses work as you see it? I'm sorry, Jerry, how do they work? What, what's your, have you, I mean, as, as your, I guess, competitors, mm-hmm. what, what, uh, what, what do you see in, uh, what's your view of them, I guess, is what I'm asking. Well, I mean, I think they put out some really amazing material. Uh, my understanding is, uh, and I've worked with them also as an author. I've got, in fact, I've got a, I'm a co-author of a book that's coming out from uh, South Carolina Press here in a couple months. Oh, but, what's that book? Uh, uh, it's, it's on the Augusta Powder Works, and George Rain's the Augusta Powder Works. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, university presses, I think, have put out some of the best Civil War material over the years. Uh, they, they they don't have to, in most cases, uh, at least my understanding, is turn turn a big profit because they're, there's a lot of grant money involved and there's a sort of a different different structure there. But that allows them, I think, to do different sorts of things that are very valuable to different researchers or different aspects of the market where other commercial presses wouldn't touch them. And I think that's extremely important. And, of course, university presses also provide an outlet for academics who, who uh, in many cases, need to publish through a university press uh, you know, in order to fulfill that publisher parish sort of uh, situation that many of them labor under. So I think university presses are terrific. I love them. I've supported them. I've own a lot of books uh, uh, from uh, from a lot of the presses, and and I'm very happy with what they've turned out. I, I I really don't think they're a competitor. I think they're I look at them as sort of a just sort of a fellow comrades in arms with the, a goal of putting out good material. Hmm. Well, they do have, uh, as you point out, some different imperatives from from the commercial world. Uh, on the one hand, they don't, as you say, money is not the foremost or the only reason they exist. So, so they can do things perhaps that, that that you might not be able to do, or other presses might not be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, as an author, I guess, would be aware. It often takes a long time to get a book through. It uh, does the university press uh, process, which involves outside readers. Does your press use outside readers? Uh, in in most cases, it does. Yes. So if if somebody wanted to submit a manuscript to you that you were interested in, you would then have it go, you would send it out to other people that you know. Yeah, there's a there's a couple different ways we do it. Uh, I'm well enough versed on on uh, pretty much every aspect of the Civil War that I can look at it, look at the bibliography, uh, have a conversation with the author, read uh, you know read snippets of it, read uh, skim through it, and know whether or not it's you know it's really worthwhile and it's something we would want to we would want to take on, and then just assume it myself and read through it and, and, and take care of business. Um, other aspects, uh, sometimes there are a few things or we're too busy or, and I won't do it, or it might be covering something that I'm not uh, not quite as comfortable in, and then we'll send it out to outside readers and, and get their get their opinion. We use outside readers more in other aspects. So we've branched out. We don't just, don't just cover Civil War anymore, although that is our core. That's still our core uh, publishing, uh, publishing focus. And in other areas, I, I, we almost exclusively use outside readers. Well, let me ask you about this. If um, I mean, the reason why authors go to university presses at all uh, is the one you mentioned, that, that it uh, satisfies a tenure requirement in many cases. And I know when I was thinking about my first book, uh, I think I had seen uh, Patrick Brennan's book from your press on Secessionville, mm-hmm. 
wonderful book, and and he's a terrific writer. Patrick turns phrases just he's he's just a brilliant writer. Yeah, he, he did a great job. He was a guest on the show. It was a pleasure to talk to him, and and he you just wrote a very interesting book. At the time, I wasn't delighted to see it. I'll tell you because uh, my mother sent me a copy, and. Uh, and she may well be listening. She inflates the listening numbers for the show by tuning in every week. So I, uh, choosing my words carefully. But she sent me the, a copy with a note that uh, Patrick also had a day job as a musician and producer and was getting his book published uh, in his spare time. And it was a reminder to me to, to get off my duff and get my book published, which was in dissertation form at the time. And at the time, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. Uh, but, of course, it was what I needed to hear, and it did help, and, and I appreciate Plus, I got a good book out of it. I got to go. read Patrick Brennan's uh, book, which was very good. But I bring all this up because at the time, as I was looking for a publisher, I may have even mentioned your firm to one of my professors uh, as a possible publisher. And his response was, well, you know, you know, for professional reasons, you really should go to a university press. Right. And I, I understand now, as I didn't at the time, why that, that made sense. Do you find that, that this is a problem for you, that, that you're limited in getting some authors who feel they can't afford to publish anywhere but the university press? Uh, no, I mean, there, I, I don't, and I'll tell you why. We have, we're really blessed, Jerry. It's, it's really hard, for, I think, you know, I, I talk to a lot of different small uh, small press, even some medium-sized presses, and and I don't think any of them, or very few of them, are as blessed as we are with the with the quality manuscripts that we get in and the number of them we get in. I mean, I, I'm looking at my credenza right now, and uh, there are probably 40 or 50 really outstanding publishable manuscripts sitting on my credenza. There, we we get them in by the boatload, and it's just amazing how many we get in. And so, even though people, uh, some people feel constrained to to stay with university presses for you know whatever reason, it doesn't affect us at all. Uh, because we we have more than enough material that uh, I mean we could keep going for years and years and years and never get another manuscript in the door. Yeah, well, that that's certainly good news. The uh, what about from the other side then? If I'm uh, an aspiring author, uh, can I send you an unsolicited manuscript? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, what we do well let, let me let me back up. Um, unsolicited? No, we prefer not to get unsolicited manuscripts. What we do is we have a we have a particular submission process, and it's up on our website, and and, uh, and it tells you a few things uh, to go through and what to send us and what not to send us, and so we can take a look at it to see whether we have any particular interest in even in even viewing it. Um, if a if an unsolicited manuscript comes in, uh, we usually just uh, turn right around, log it that it's in, and and, and then return it. Um, so we don't usually take uh, unsolicited manuscripts. We, we we try to avoid that. I can imagine a, a fair pile would would show up uh, uh, if you didn't do it that way. True. So, well, the, I'm just I'm very intrigued by the the they said the niche that your firm occupies with with the university press. You get this uh, you get the the benefit of outside readers from the field who, who critique the work, but you get the drawback of the amount of time it might take, which can be years in some cases. Mm-hmm. Where the uh, material actually shows up, if you do accept a manuscript, how long does it take your firm to turn that into a book? Well, typically, um, of course, the business, the the world works in two cycles, right? It, uh, it's January to June is the spring cycle, and the fall cycle is uh, 
is uh, July to December, and typically it takes us uh, two full cycles before we can have a book appear. So it's at least a year in in most cases. Now uh, there are exceptions to that. We've we've gotten in some books uh, before where they're they're so good, they're so ready to go, and they they fill exactly an editorial niche that we're that we're happy with and, and need, and they're timely, and we will work overtime to get that book in quickly and and and, and out to out to press. But of course, the problem is, is uh, as you all well know, and as some people don't know, is that you you need to get a book done in advance, months before publication, if you really want the exposure and the and the and the pre-publicity uh, reviews that go along with it, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, that sort of thing, or if you want to have a shot at the book clubs. And so working backward, if you have a particular date, let's say you want to release a book in oh, October, well, you really have to have an unbo- or a bound, unedited galley, formatted, designed, you know, been through the reading process, has been edited at least once, in hand four months before that publication date. And then those have to go to the different reviewers and the book clubs and different things. So in order to get it to that point, you've got to have months on the other side. And so it, it, it takes, you know, approaches a year to really get it going, even on a, on a, on a pretty good speed track. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, and, and that's even without the outside reading being involved. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come right back. We're talking today with Ted Savas of Savas Beatty Publishing, and we'll join him for more on how to get Civil War books published in a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. except a blockhead ever wrote except for money. Someone famous said that, maybe Samuel Johnson. We'll find out about the money side of Civil War publishing when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. You got a small business? Well, then you know how tough it can be. You know, marketing, finding new customers, and especially just staying focused on the day-to-day details of running your business. Well, even though my business was doing okay, it wasn't where I knew it could be. I was getting a bit discouraged. Then I heard about this little book called Growing Your Business by Mark LeBlanc. Wow, I still can't figure out how such a small book could make such a big difference in my business. It only took about an hour to read, and the things I learned, well, all I can say is I'll be using Mark's ideas for a long time to come. Why? Because they work. I learned how to really focus on what I need to do to attract more customers and how to be more successful by creating a plan for generating more business. I guess that's why Mark named his website smallbusinesssuccess.com. Clever, huh? Small business success. That's it. If you want to be more successful with your business, and who doesn't, you should check out Mark LeBlanc's website at smallbusinesssuccess.com. You'll find Mark's books and lots of other resources for growing your business. smallbusinesssuccess.com. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking with Ted Savas of Savas Beatty Publishing. Uh, tech, uh, Ted, is that the exact name of the firm? What, what? It is, uh, Savas Beatty. Savas Beatty. Mm-hmm. Uh, publishers of Civil War books and other distinguished historical publications. 
Well, we've been talking in the first segment about uh, just how one goes about getting a book, uh, getting a book published, and about some of the distinctions between the different kinds of publishers. And the uh, one of the, the things that that really distinguishes different types of publishers in this field or any historical field, uh, as we were commenting on, is, is the distinction between the university presses and the trade presses. And where a university press doesn't necessarily need to sell a lot of books, as you pointed out, they get grants, they've got uh, subsidies from their universities. They they pay their authors uh, in prestige to a large extent rather than money. Uh, they help their authors get tenure. So that if you're an amateur writer or if you're a, a, I mean amateur in the best sense of the word, if you're someone who has a different job but writes history uh, as an avocation, uh, then then the prestige of the, the university press doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. That was certainly my experience when I worked on my first book, and I was working full-time at a museum. Uh, tenure was not an issue. And I was just astonished by the contract I, I got from the first uh, the first time. It was just filled with... Uh, it, it was a contract of adhesion, as they say <laughs> in the trade, the legal trade. It, it was, I, did, I didn't write that, did I? I'm sorry? I, I didn't write that contract. It, it wasn't from you, no. no I'm not, happy to say. It was from a university press. And it was filled with the most outrageous one-sided clauses. Uh, right. And I, uh, being the ex-lawyer, I, I marked it up uh, appropriately, sent it back to negotiate. And their response was, well, we don't negotiate this. Uh, you're happy to get this. Right. Uh, that they didn't, they were viewing it from an entirely different perspective which was they were providing an extremely valuable service, a career-making service for the, the tenure-seeking professional uh, historian. And you should be on your knees thanking them that they're even making you the offer. Precisely. And and since I was not seeking tenure at the time, I was thinking, well, I'd like to get paid for this. Heck. Um, now, we worked it out amicably, and, and, and everything came out good in the end. And years later, when I did go back to the university, I was very glad that I had that book in my uh, on my CV, and it really did help me uh, land a job and, and, and move toward tenure. So I, I can't complain in retrospect. But they were coming. But I do now see that these are two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And the uh, I, I'm really glad uh, being within academia now that I have that book uh, with that publisher, and it made it's made things go much more smoothly. But for many authors, uh, many people who have been on this show who who write as a sideline, that prestige is not of any particular value, and they would like to be paid a little bit for what they do. Sure. And they would like a press that tries to actively sell the book. Absolutely. Now, that's where you come in, I guess. Uh, t- tell me about your efforts in that direction. Sure. Well, we, um, we're we in it to make uh, to make money. Uh, we're, a, we're a commercial, small commercial press, independent press. But uh, I can tell you, I'm also in it because I love it. Uh, I gave up a law practice. I teach law at night now, and I do some different uh, consulting on the side a little bit. But but I you know I gave that world up uh, with uh, with a you know with a decent income to do something that I really love to do. And so we don't take any any book uh, unless it's something we really love and we really want to do it and we really think it makes a contribution to uh, to, the, to the literature. So we take a book. We're in love with the book. And that, of course, makes us want to want to really put some muscle behind it and, and, and do a lot of good work with it. So, uh, you know, we offer the authors, uh, you know, typical sort of uh, sort of uh, royalty clauses, but it it varies 
per book and per author, uh, so it's, it's hard for me to sort of give you a standard on that. But sometimes we pay advances. Sometimes we don't pay advances. Uh, we've paid some large advances. Um, we just paid a very, very large advance uh, for, a, for, a, for a book we're going to do that's not Civil War related. But, but um, we work hard on that. We've got a full-time marketing director, Sarah Keeney, and Sarah uh, knows marketing inside and out, and she works with the authors every step of the way from uh, almost from the moment a manuscript is accepted to uh, you know to uh, to the time after it's published, which is really when the work begins, really begins. And although it's funny, Jerry, most most authors have this idea that once once the book is published or their manuscript is submitted and they're done editing, their work is done. Ah, and no. and and I mean, most authors. I'm talking eight out of ten authors, and they think if they do one signing, two signings, uh, maybe send out six or eight postcards, they're done, and they've done everything they're supposed to do. And we send them out, every author, we talk to them on the phone, uh, you know, routinely. We, we're in very close communication with our authors. And we send them a complete brochure that has, uh, you know, 20 or 30 pages of exactly how to work with your, with your press, what to do, what not to do, what will help you sell books, that sort of thing. And then when it comes time, uh, most of them don't want to do it. And then they get surprised if uh, returns are heavy and the sell-through doesn't uh, doesn't work and and uh, isn't very very strong or something. And there's a direct correlation between the authors that are out there doing the things that we ask them to do and and doing the things to support their books and sell-through all over the country, and and not. And so anyway, we work very hard on on that score to, to sell our books. And I'm very proud to say that in in 16 years of publishing, we've never remaindered a single book. Really? Never, ever. I won't remainder a book. And it's not because, and we don't have a warehouse full of books that won't sell. I can, I can tell you that. Um, we have either sold out of all of our books or we have, uh, you know, handfuls left that uh, might sell at a trickle. And I'm not going to, you know, just run out and remainder 200 copies of a book. I'll, I'll keep them and I'll sell them all. Uh, we just don't do that. And so uh, we're very careful about what we take. We're very careful about the numbers we publish, uh, print. And we're and we're and we work very hard to to sell it out and sell it through. Hmm. Well, that's when you talk about what what an author needs to do once a book is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I'm interested in in, in that. Uh, certainly, people appear on this show uh, usually because I call them, but I'm always looking for people who have a book that's just out or just coming out and, and are eager to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what what else do you want your authors to do? Well, there's a lot of things to do. You know, the world has changed substantially um, in the last, the book world, in, in the last, oh, let's say, six or eight years. The Internet has really turned the model upside down. And by that, by that I mean this. Let's say back in the, the days of no Internet or very early days of the Internet, uh, a Civil War publisher, uh, any, any publisher really, uh, especially a niche publisher, could, could print a, a run of books, can send out their catalogs, send out their brochures, do their regular advertising, and they'll sell a good number of those at full retail directly to the customer. Now, of course, that model is gone uh, because Amazon, uh, the online bookstores, eBay, those sorts of things, big box, uh, big box stores that have big discounts, that's changed that model. And so many customers won't pay full price anymore. Well, what that's done is that has actually forced publishers to raise the cost the retail price of the book, so that when it's discounted, it's actually in line with what they need to make their margins to, to keep their doors open. 
Well, that in turn drives more people away from buying at retail. So it becomes sort of a vicious cycle. But retail authors, look, you know, when you're in a niche, especially like the Civil War, people like signed first edition copies. So there's still a, there's still a pretty good market out there, and people like signed copies. They make great gifts. They make great collector's items, whatever. In order to do that, you really need to do a couple things. One is you need to have a website. Now, we're finding more and more authors are amenable to that today. They weren't a, a year or two ago, but they're really starting to realize that if you want a presence, if you want to do radio interviews, if you really want to sell your book through, if you want to make money as an author, real money as an author, you need to sell your own book. And the way to do that is through your own website. And so we promote it on our website. We promote the author's website, the author uh you know, puts articles on there, we put excerpts on there, we do different things, and he can take orders or she can take orders directly through through their site. And that's really where an author makes makes the most money because they buy the books at a big discount, at a, at a traditional wholesale discount, and then they keep the profit. And we tell them, you know, marketing shows that if you sell a book to somebody, you're selling another book somewhere else. Because that person is going to tell somebody else, that person is going to tell somebody else, that person is going to go over to a Barnes & Noble and buy a copy. It's just the word of mouth that spreads virally, and it ends up, you can sell a book in Washington, D.C., and it ends up uh, uh, in, in a book being sold in Seattle, Washington, in a bookstore. It just it, it works that way. That's the way the world works. And so, um, so we tell authors to do that. We tell authors to... Um, the, the real active authors will will drive two hours in any direction to sign books in a bookstore. They'll go to they'll they'll go they'll give a talk anywhere. They'll call Rotary clubs. They'll call roundtables. They'll call Elks clubs. They'll call veterans organizations. They'll go anywhere they can. They'll take books with them and they'll go and they'll sell their book. And uh, it, authors that do that, authors that that uh, you know send out flyers, we we make the flyers for them. Authors that that do these sorts of things will have success. And they'll enjoy the, the journey because it's a it's a neat journey. It's it's a unique journey, and so many people. Um, I, I think in in life, Jerry, there are two kinds of people. There are frustrated rock stars, and there are frustrated authors. <laughs> and uh, you know, most of us can't sing or play guitar, and most of us can't write. But the few that can need to enjoy the journey. And part of that journey is is being out there and sharing your love of the book and what you've created with other people who have that that same love. And a lot of authors uh, do, and a lot of them don't, and it's it's really a shame. Well, that, that it's too bad for those who don't. I will say, I I did a lot of that myself uh, with the 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 uh, diminished incentive that when I was doing it, I was working uh, at a museum, and their view uh, was that I was working for them full time, so anything I did was for them. So. I could the books I sold of my own book were ones that were owned by the museum bookstore. Right. So I got the the royalty, but I didn't buy them at the wholesale and sell them at retail. I didn't get ten or twelve dollars a book. I got fifty cents a book. Right. That, yeah. And that, and that and that that kind of took the edge off driving it, two it hours really, to talk yeah. to ten people at the Sons of Union Veterans <laughs> meeting. And sell three books and make a buck fifty. You can go get a cup of coffee. Exactly. Um, on the other hand, I was making fifty or a hundred dollars for the museum store and if the museum goes under i go under so i'm I'm happy to be doing that right well it, you know, there's something else that's interesting and, and some authors don't look or many authors don't don't think of this and we make it very clear to them is that you know there's a certain marketing budget that's at, that we have and it's allocated uh, in different ways that, uh, that that we allocate that we think would you know best sell a book and the authors that go out 
and really flog their books and are driving sales uh, both uh, through the wholesale pipeline, through Amazon, and, and through their own through their own efforts, uh, through their own website or whatever they've got, we'll put more money behind that author. We're more likely to spend more time having Sarah or someone else set up radio interviews and do different things and, and spend the time it takes so that that author can can step up the ladder and, and enjoy more success because they've demonstrated a willingness to do that. On the other hand, I'll give you an example. There was one author we had, of course I won't mention his name, this was so many years ago, and he wrote a nice book, and he went uh, and he went and spoke at a large round table uh, in the eastern part of the country. And a good friend of mine, uh, who's also an author, uh, a very successful author of ours, called and he said, "What's up with so and so?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, he came last night. He he talked to our group, and there were 50 people standing in line that wanted books. And he said, oh, I'm not going to slog books around. You want a book? Go to a bookstore." Huh? And I called the author the next day, and this is a very bright guy. He's, uh, he's, he's in the academic world. He's a very bright guy. And I called him up, and I said, okay, I'm telling you what. I'm pulling your marketing budget. I will not advertise your book. I will not uh, put a marketing director behind your book uh, and give you any time if you're not going to help sell your own book. And he said, I find it rather demeaning to sell my own book. And I said, okay, that's just all I needed to know. And so we stopped, uh, you know, pulled the marketing budget away from his book, and his book eventually sold out, but it took probably twice as long as it would have. And it, he could have went through, I think, two or three editions of his book, and he didn't. And that really put the light bulb on above me. And what we do now is I, th- I started thinking, you know, we need to interview authors before we sign them up. And so in many cases, um, we have conversations with authors, and some I'll send a questionnaire to, some I'll just do it orally. But I really, I really want to know how interested they are in doing the things that it really takes to make a book successful in today's world. And some are, some aren't. Um, the ones that essentially tell me that they're not, even if they have a really good book, I turn them down. And I've turned down many that have just terrific books. But if I don't think I can work with them, or if I don't like their attitude in terms of the way they look at the, how the book world should work, um, then I just won't deal with them. Well, life is too short to... Uh spend time doing that. Sort of I, I think it is. I mean, it's just not a good fit. I think authors need to need to know, and I think a lot of them do, and, and they need to know in case they've never published before, don't just take the first offer from a publisher because you, you really need to know what kind of books the publisher puts out, what kind of paper they use, what kind of binding they use, is their format attractive, is their editing good. I mean, you look through all of that and look at the whole package. Yeah. And you got to make sure you're happy with your with the result, with what you're going to get, and then you're happy with sort of the philosophy that, that the publisher brings to the table. And the publisher has to be happy with the philosophy that, and, and the attitude of the author. And so it's, it's really it's a cooperative partnership. And if, if just like a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if you, can't, if you can't talk about important issues and deal with things together on a, on a, on a, uh, you know, on a good basis looking forward and, and move the whole ball forward, uh, you shouldn't be together. Well, that, that is really good advice. I'm fascinated by the idea of... Uh, the people who don't want to uh, sell their own books, and it it really strikes me when I th- that contract I was mentioning to you with the University Press. Uh, when I first got my contract, one of the clauses was that you could buy plenty, you could buy books for your own use at discount, but you could not resell them. Mm-hmm. And I wrote to them, I negotiated, I said, look, I go to roundtables all the time on right. behalf of my museum. I'm constantly talking to ready audiences. 
in little tiny Indiana towns that don't have a Borders or a Barnes and Noble. Right. And if you don't let me sell the book to them, they're not going to get the book. Right. And why on earth don't you want me selling the book? I mean, that just baffled me, but I guess they wanted the, the margins. It, it's, a, it's a head-scratcher to me. I, I, I don't get it. I've, I've, um, I've talked to many authors who have come to us after having that, had that experience uh, with uh, presses that are our size or presses that are gigantic. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, there are real advantages to going with a smaller press. There are real advantages to going with a larger press. It just really depends what you want. Uh, um, uh, I'll give you an interesting example. We, we took a book recently called Playing with the Enemy. Um, it's a baseball prodigy, a world at war, and a field of broken dreams by a guy named Gary Moore. And we, 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 I turned this manuscript down several times because it was I hadn't even read it. It was just out of what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the agent kept sending me new versions of it and kept telling me to read it, and I didn't read it. And I told him it wasn't really what we wanted. And eventually, <clears throat> um, I talked to the author. The author called, and I'd started reading this book, and it was it was one of the greatest manuscripts I ever read. And so I said, you know, this book really, I think. You've probably got a probable movie deal coming down the road with this book. I think this is something you should take to a larger publishing house because it's not exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. And even though we wanted to break out of the niche of Civil War and, and Revolutionary War and things, we really wanted to pop our head up over the transom, <clears throat> I didn't think for sure this was the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. He goes, I, I have an offer from two, two bigger publishing companies, uh, big public in New York, and he goes, I don't want to go with them. And the reason is, is because I've got friends that have published with them. As soon as you send a manuscript in, you never hear from them again. They don't want to hear from you. They don't take advice. They don't consult you on the cover. All of a sudden, there's a book out, and 90 days later, it's in Walmart for three ninety nine. Mm. He said, I don't want that. And, uh, and he said, I want somebody I can talk to on the phone. I can call and get advice from uh, somebody that will listen to me. And uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And so we ended up taking the book. We've done extraordinarily well with it. There's a movie deal. Uh, the movie's being filmed this year. And uh, it, it, so it just depends. He was comfortable with a smaller press, and we were comfortable with that sort of an energetic author. And and so it's it's been a good marriage. For some people, it wouldn't be. Yeah, well, it's good. It, it does make a difference uh, that both sides know what they're getting into, as you say, in a marriage or in a publishing deal. We're going to take another break here on Civil War Talk Radio. We'll come back in just a minute talking more today with Ted Savas of Savas Beatty, who publishes Civil War Books. We'll be back on Civil War Talk Radio. Technology changed radically from the smoothbore musket to the repeating rifle. Over the last 10 years, book publishing technology has changed rapidly also. We'll find out how books get from the publisher to you when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. It's the one level playing field in business, the Internet. It's where an artisan working out of a small shop can look bigger than a multinational corporation. But to achieve this level of visibility, your company's website needs a developer who knows the net and how to make it work. Your company needs Apsio. Apsio's success comes from producing websites that reflect the attitudes and uniqueness of their respective organizations. Make a great first impression on the web. Choose Apsio, A-P-S-Y-O. For more info, visit www.apsio.com. 
You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and today my guest is Ted Savitt. Ted Savitz of Savitz Beatty LLC, publishers of Civil War books and other fine historical books. Uh, Ted, we've talked about the the process of publishing, and Mm -hmm. now I want to ask you a question that is much akin to asking a parent which one of their children is the favorite. (laughs) Uh, Of all the books you've published, uh, Civil War books, what's your favorite? Oh, boy. And you can dodge that in any way you like. Well, you know... let me let me think about that. I I, I, I want to give you a non lawyer like answer. <clears throat> I'm not sure that that's possible. <laughs> but uh, y- you know, they all have different sorts of uh, sorts of things that you like and things that you don't like. I, I I'm really enthralled with our recent book by Eric Wittenberg and J D Petruzzi, uh, Plenty of Blame to Go Around. I I, I when we publish a book, uh, we're really really interested in something that has something new to say. You won't see us publish a book about Pickett's Charge. You won't see me publish a book about, um, you know, about some event that you've read over and over and over again, thirty different ways. And so when Eric came to me with this particular project, I was looked at it askance, and I thought, well, you know, Jeb Stewart's right. I mean, do we really need another book on that? And, and do we really need uh, anything else? Is there anything to say about it? Well, there was, and there was a lot, and it was largely, com- you know, new and fresh and terrific interpretation and. So I have to say that recently, um, uh, if I have to put my finger on a favorite Civil War book, uh, that would be it. Um, well, uh, I, that's an excellent book, and, and our listeners, if, if they had, didn't hear uh, J.D. Petruzzi's interview discussing the book, uh, they should go back to the archives, page back a few uh, a few pages on the website, and, and listen to it. I agree that that is a, a really interesting. Book that that does take a new look at the Gettysburg campaign. Just when you thought you've read everything there is about it. Yep, it's that's definitely one of my favorites. Now, you mentioned uh, when you were discussing the uh, one of the books you published recently, uh, talking with an agent. Mm-hmm. Are most of your authors represented by agents? They are not. Uh, in fact, Gary Moore's book was, I believe, maybe the second or third agent we've we've ever really worked with. You know, most of our people are, I think, like you said, uh, like you said earlier, alluded to earlier, histories and avocation. Most of the authors that we get are, you know, they're lawyers, they're plumbers, they're electricians, they're CPAs, they're, they're teachers. They're, they're, they've got a different, uh, different walk in life, and this is something they do at night in their, uh, you know, in a, in a spare bedroom or a library somewhere, and it's a labor of love for them. And so, uh, it's not really something that you would take to a Simon and Schuster or take to a, take to a, to a Random House. And you would go to a smaller press with something like this. And most smaller presses, uh, you don't need an agent to get in the door. So that that's, uh, holds out hope because people talk about the difficulty of getting published. You need an agent to get published, but you need to be published to get an agent. <laughs> there is a conundrum there. It's hard to do. It is. Um, I, I mentioned in, in the break there would. I wanted to ask you about technology of publishing. In in the years you've been involved, has that changed very much for what you do? Completely. It's 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 completely different. When we started, uh, of course, there was desktop publishing was in its infancy, and you'd you'd you'd, you'd lay it out, and you'd you'd lay a book out, and you'd have somebody format it up, or else you'd you'd have your uh, you'd do it yourself, or you'd have somebody in your office do it, and you'd you'd lay it out, and you'd look at it. But then, when you wanted to send that to the press, 
you actually had to, we had to send our copy. Now, we're in Silicon Valley in California at the time, and we'd, we'd have to send it down to Los Angeles to get a high-res printout. It cost a buck or a buck and a half a page. It was double or triple that in San, San Jose, so that's why we sent it down south. And they'd print it out, and because the printer had to shoot shoot those pages. And, of course, if there was a mistake, you'd have to do the whole process again and fix certain pages. It was just a nightmare, and it was very expensive, and, and preparing photos was expensive, and you had negatives, and computers and the Internet couldn't handle uh, couldn't handle uh, sending large files, that sort of thing. And uh, there was really no good even way to send a large file because there, there weren't even zip disks at the time, let alone... CD, uh, CDs and, and that sort of thing. So, so it's it's changed completely. And today, uh, you know, you do use the desktop publishing. It's much better. It's much faster. It's much more. It's much more efficient. And there's a lot lot more bells and whistles with it. But uh, you simply uh, email the book to the printer. I mean, I, in fact, we we sent in a book uh, yesterday, and uh, it's a new Shiloh Battle book by, uh, by uh, Tim uh, Tim Joyner and uh, Gary, uh, Tim uh, Tim Smith and Gary Joyner. And we we sent that book in, and everything was FTP'd over to the to the to the printer. And they don't need they didn't need paper. You don't mail anything. They downloaded it off the internet. They confirmed it. They pre-flighted it. Everything's ready to go, and it's in production. Wow. Oh, that that. Uh, so so you know how it's going to look when you you format it in house and you email everything as a file. Mm-hmm. And and, and so does the author. Um, yeah. What we do is we always make sure. Like for example, if if we'll we'll actually format a chapter, and we'll send a chapter to our authors, and we'll say this is this is how we anticipate your book should look. This would be a good look for your book. We want to make sure that you agree, and you don't have anything that's uh, some sort of real strong uh, opinion uh, opposite to ours. So there's no surprise for the authors there. And then once the book is done and it's edited, of course we send it to the author and they get a chance to proof their entire copy all printed out so they see exactly how it looks from beginning to end and how the pages all break. Uh, and then so when it goes to the printer and then comes back to the author in a finished form, there are no surprises. Well, that, that is an, an author's dream to be able to have that kind of control as it goes. The the technology that fascinates me with uh, illustrations I can recall 10 years ago uh, I wanted to use some illustrations out of some material that was in our museum collection. And uh, having access to the museum equipment, I set up a copy stand and, and took uh, digital photos mm-hmm. of the the illustrations I wanted to use. Very high-resolution TIFF file is produced. But the publisher wanted every, you know, everything in 8x10 glosses. Mm-hmm. So I take the TIFF files and I print them out on our high-quality uh, Color printer with photo paper, mm-hmm. which is a you know fairly expensive process, right? Uh, and mail those so that they can then photograph, they can then scan them, right, back into TIFF files, right. <laughs> and I said afterwards, uh, why on earth didn't you just let me email you the the file in the first place? Why did I have to print it so you could scan it and lose resolution at every step? Well, the good, the, I mean, the good news now is that it. None of that is necessary anymore. The time, the mailing, uh, all that stuff. You, you can just scan it, you dump it into your document, and it just becomes part of the embedded file. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's cheaper, it's easier, it's faster, uh, and, and the production quality is, uh, is just as good. So it's, it, it's, it's, been ter- it's been terrific. And the technology advancements in the book world, except for the Amazons and the Ebays, um, have, been, have been really good. C- c- can I say uh, something, Jerry? I was thinking during break about something sure. I wanted to say about 
about the advent of Amazon and eBay and how that might affect people yes, who buy please. niche books. Um, it's interesting. You know, Amazon is really a terrific animal, and I and, and I, I use it every day. And you see what's in print, you see what people are writing about particular books and all that. And it's 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 a great equalizer in the sense that you can uh, every press can reach more people than they really could could have reached before. But what's really interesting is that if you've and I know you're a keen watcher of this this sort of thing, the number of small presses has diminished in the Civil War world. Yes. And the number of independent bookstores that had a lot of Civil War titles, those are, those are diminishing in, this, in, in the book world. And the reason is is because the people who want these books the most are legitimately, I and mean, I, don't, I don't fault them at all for it, I understand completely why, they'll, they'll go to Amazon, they'll buy a book and save 20 or 30%. Or they'll go to eBay and they'll try to find a copy for, for half price or something. And, you know, God bless them, I understand why, and it and, and and it makes it makes perfectly good uh, financial sense to do so. But the downside to that is that what's happening is there's a collectivity going on, a, a consolidation in the publishing world, and you're seeing it in the big publishers, and you're seeing it in the small publishers who are who are slowly being weeded out or going out of business or being acquired by other publishers. And the end result is that the selection of good Civil War material is, is drying up in some regards. You're seeing a lot of not so good books coming out, but the real good quality stuff, as each good press goes away, will slowly and slowly dry up. And if the small presses don't stick around, you won't see Simon and Schuster putting out a book on Chicago's Battery Boys, or you won't see Random House putting out a book on Stewart's Ride. And so, it's really important in some way, somehow, to figure out how to support your small press, not just mine, but I mean all all small presses, if you like the books they put out, I think it's important to support them because, you know, 10 years from now, you might not have a choice. Well, I'm, I'm very glad you said that. I think that's very important, and our, our listeners certainly sympathize. They they enjoy the books you produce and those kind of books. Well, thank you. I, I think there's a, a pressure coming from the other direction, too, with the new technology. On the one hand, you get the consolidation into big firms. On the other hand, Anybody can make a book now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have always been vanity presses that would publish if you paid them. Right. But now, uh, with the technology, people can self-publish or go to these vanity presses that produce things that look like real books. And while there may be fewer high-quality small presses and more, more big ones, there, there's also a multiplicity of books, uh, of self-published books showing up. Right. And... I'm sure our listeners know if they've ever bought or read any many of these. They're usually junk. Mm-hmm. There's a, the reason that no one published them is they're not any good. Right. And on Amazon, everybody's equal. It just looks like another book. That's right. And that I think is a danger. Um, it can be uh, for sure. It, it, that's true. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really torn about this. I'm sort of got this big libertarian streak in me, and I and I. I think it's great that we have more people being able to get the word out there and publish, and, and, and you know that, that to me that that's all good overall. If, if although it's a buyer beware sort of sort of world, and sometimes they put out material where the presentation might not be as good, or the jacket doesn't look nice, and the, and the formatting is awful, and the editing's horrible. But sometimes the information is invaluable, mm-hmm. and so sometimes it's the only way to get that sort of information. And yeah, but but your comments are completely on point in, in terms of it's a buyer beware market and if it's self-published stuff well well, that's exactly what it does it, it's it, it, in a theoretical 
point of view, what it's doing is transferring the effort of editing from the press where, where I pay you to decide what's drac and what is actually worth my time, mm-hmm. make that decision, then, then I read it. Uh, if everybody can publish, now I have to make that decision, which means I have to do review all, I'm essentially reviewing a bunch of manuscripts now. Right. And deciding which ones ought to be published or ought to take my time. And, uh, you know, there, there's a libertarian argument for that, that everybody should be allowed to say uh, what they want, and, and they are. But I would prefer that you uh, or the readers at a university press or the editors at a big trade press, somebody with expertise in the field, winnow down a little bit the infinite number of manuscripts out there. Sure. Because I don't have an infinite amount of time to read them all. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need to increase that. Increase our pharmaceutical, so you and I can live for three or four hundred years and read more books. That's right. But I, but I wouldn't want to spend all three hundred years reading through through junk. Reading through junk. I, I, yeah. I I'm willing to to pay a little bit for somebody whose judgment I respect right. to to at least start that winnowing process. Well, I think that's I think that's I mean that's really that's really exactly right. I I, I like to think that we've branded ourselves, and if 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 somebody goes out and sees an SB on the cover. They, they know essentially what they're going to get. And if you go out and you buy a university press, a North Carolina book, university press, you know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get a good, good book and it's going to you know, fall within certain parameters. So you know what you're getting. You don't know that when you buy a self-published book. It's, it's really hit or miss. That's, that's all true. And, and that, that's just, it just, it's hit or miss. It could be great, but, but who has time right. to, to just spend their time reading hit or miss books? Um, most of us don't, and, and we prefer to go to to a brand where where we know the odds are it's going to be something worth our time. Right. Uh, that, that's how with the interviews we set up here. I, I I couldn't just talk to everyone off the street. I, I want to talk to someone who has a story. Right. And unfortunately, our story time seems to be at an end. But Ted, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, and I've learned a lot about the world of book publishing today. Thanks very much. Could I could I give us our website? Please do. It's uh, www.savasbaity. It's S-A-V-A-S-B-E-A-T-I-E dot com. And uh, we look forward to having everybody visit our site and uh, hopefully support Civil War Talk Radio. It's a terrific uh, thing you're doing, Jerry. Well, thanks, Ted. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.